Welcome to the sixth episode of Eastern World 2022 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who always has something very important in his hands, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening. It's been a bit of a uh, wet and wild day in Phuket, as you were saying to me before we started recording. Yes, lots and lots of lightning strikes earlier. A very rude interruption to our stay at the beach. We hustled out of there. We ducked. We ducked underneath uh, uh, an area with bars and restaurants before we could head back home. (laughs) And then right after we got back, another storm happened. And then that storm ended another hour hour or so later. Another storm broke out. Now it's all quiet, so my apologies to listeners, but you will not be hearing lightning strikes in the background while we record. I am disappointed in you. (laughs) And I would say this week was a much better episode than two weeks ago was. I think I preferred it to last week as well. But a completely and utterly unsurprising boot. They, They really... If you take notes as to what people are saying during the quiz... The one person who didn't announce who their sex suspects were was the person who ends up being executed at the end of the episode. So as soon as that quiz section ended, I wrote down my notes. Well, that's an embarrassing way for that guy to be executed. Technically, it was two people because Leticia didn't say who she suspected either, but also she was exempt. Yeah, the only person who was eligible to be eliminated didn't announce who their suspect was. And that's when you knew it was game over for Sahil. And I do also have to point out that in week one, when Sahil started entertaining us so much, I predicted that he would go home in the Josh traditional spot of either fifth or sixth. You did. You did. You get points for that. He went home in sixth. So I wasn't surprised. I was mainly relieved that it wasn't someone from my team, being perfectly honest. But it is a massive loss to the season, entertainment-wise. I know what got him executed. It was the fact that he wasn't wearing any funny shirts this week. It is. He was just Hawaiian casual this week, and it, it screwed him. There was no Space Jam or Girl Scouts tributes or Titanic. Was that the other one? Titanic was another one as well, because Kim actually, when she was uh, going towards the Russian submarine base, shouted, I'm king of the world. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, do you really do that on a small speedboat? Doesn't have to be a bigger boat to pull the Titanic quote. I mean, I think if you're at the front of any boat, you probably do it if you if you're tempted to. Being perfectly honest, that's what Michael Scott would do. Jim Halpert would bet his entire month's pay on Michael Scott saying, "I'm king of the world." Whenever at the front of a boat. And to begin with, before we even get into the episode, yet again we do have a listener complaint of the week. Although this is less of a listener complaint of the week and more of a listener actually explains how a challenge from last week works of the week. Uh, because after the episode went up on Wednesday, Katya did message us on Instagram to explain about how the first challenge last week could have actually been won with €2,000. Because if you remember, I said it was physically impossible. They could only win 1750 in the Glider Challenge. And the way that it could have been won with €2,000 is if they double-doubled. If both Frazier and Sahil had chucked their pink bags to uh, the same person, then they could have double-doubled it. And I'm very surprised between a Canadian and someone who loves Tim Hortons, neither of us spotted the double-double. <laughs> that's true, though. They could have... True, though. Yeah, if you throw the two bags of the same person, that's extra money you can bag. I would argue that it is not abundantly clear that that could have happened. 
Yeah, it's not even clear yeah, that it could even be within the confines of the rules that you could throw two doublers at the same person. No, because you would assume that before that challenge, Sahil and uh, Frazier got together and said, who are you throwing it to? Who are you throwing it to? Let's try and agree to not throw at the same person to confuse them. Or, or if they really wanted to earn money, say, we'll both throw it at Thomas because we both know he cannot be the mole. He's the only one who consistently tries to earn money for the pot. Yeah, it's a weird way to make a maximum, is what I will say. Thank you for actually flagging that with us, Katya. But it is a weird way for them to do it. Because it requires a lot of collaboration from Fraser and Sahil, who, between them, not particularly known for their collaboration in this season. Considering they're blaming each other for the stolen phone. Yeah, as Fraser says at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode, Sahil was an incredibly frustrating player, but a friend for life. Do you remember Celebrity Mole Hawaii? How Kathy Griffin would react whenever somebody was executed? It's ages since I've seen the season, to be honest. Yeah. Also, um... When Stephen Baldwin got executed, they censored him, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a season that aired 17 years ago. <laughs> or longer. Kathy Griffin says, oh, my God. It's too bad he went home, but my God, he was such an asshole. <laughs> nice guy, but a complete asshole. She just repeats it once or twice, and everyone has no idea how to react to that. I know we're unlikely to ever get to the celebrity moles on, on the historians, but Kathy Griffin was perfect casting for that show. Uh, there are compilations on YouTube you can find that people have edited just to include Kathy Griffin's clips from it. I think without Kathy Griffin, I don't think anyone would have bothered with that season. So previously, Fraser and Sahil disappeared, then flew over the others as they tried to free themselves and earn money for the pots, while Kim took a mud bath and Letitia failed to take the doubler that was thrown to her. The mole phone went missing and appeared in Sahil's hand, while the mystery of the missing 250 euros continued. At a physical challenge, the team gambled it all to win big, but it was Treasurer Healer whose luck ran out, and she was sent home. And they are still in Saranda. Rick says that nobody expected that three candidates would make it to final six, still with exemptions. In previous years, lots of money would be paid for those exemptions, but the three with the exemptions, Frazier, Letitia, and Sahil, seem confident on their suspicions, and probably still won't play them. Healer transferred the pot to everyone, who vowed to find the missing money, but that could just be a small gesture, as he still has a €5,000 bounty on his head if he's the mole. The missing phone is still confusing to the team, but there is another call coming on the way to Porto Palermo. And we've not done this for a couple of weeks. Do you want to have a crack at the episode title? Oh, it's a bit tougher than last week's. This one came up, and I immediately was like, making Logan try and say that one. <laughs> what would that be? Would that be like golf? Golf the wagon? Golf the wagon? According to Google, and please correct me, any Dutch or Belgian people listening, it's uh, Holf Bewegening. Oh, that makes sense with the W. Holf Bewegening. Yeah, I can see that. Holf Bewegening. I quickly Googled it before we started recording so I could seem impressive and like I know you're Dutch. I think you're adding an extra. I think you're adding an extra syllable in there, Michael. That's just the Dutch language. Holf Bewegening which is wave motion in English. Yeah, I got the wave motion part. I can say that. It is, to quote one of our episode titles for Amazing Race 31, The Motion on the Ocean. It's day 11, and Thomas asked Frazier where the phone was, but she had no idea. Sahil says that he'd kind of forgotten that he had it, but then it starts ringing in his bag in front of Kim and Thomas. It's the Rickophone. 
I mean, seriously, did Sahil think he was going to get away with this? It's quite obvious that it's going to ring at an inopportune moment for you. How did he not hide it in a better spot? How did he not hide it in someone else's bag? <laughs> or have the phone on silent if you're in a bus ride? I presume production told him he couldn't have it on silent in case Rick does need to get in contact with them, but still. Yeah, you just cut to Rick being all annoyed, saying, oh, no one's answering this phone. That's the tenth time we're trying to call this number. <laughs> so he'll must think that I'm just butt-dialing him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he have caller ID? Who else could have this number? Or it would have been even better if Sahil picked up the phone and Rick pretended to be a telemarketer or one of those one of those scammers you see on the Kit Boga or Scammer Payback YouTube channels. What they should have done is just, as soon as Sahil picks up, connected him to a Chinese takeaway in Amsterdam who have no idea what he's on about. So would that be chop suey or sweet and sour pork, Sahil? You know, you know how much people in Albania love to eat Chinese food. So Rick tells them that they need to form two groups, one group of three people who want to make sure money is earned, and one group of three people who are not afraid of the dark or water and want to bring in the money. And what I love about this scene more than anything else is that usually they send Rick to a cafe or something to make these calls. He's literally in the passenger seat of a car. <laughs> They literally have to do it while he's on the way to the location to beat the contestants, rather than finding finding a cafe nearby or whatever. Because I would be very surprised if Porto Palermo did not have a cafe they could have done that from. Yeah, he had. To, they, maybe they went through a McDonald's drive-through and they didn't think it would be uh, that wouldn't fit into the into the atmosphere or uh, that wouldn't fit into the atmosphere of what Via's the mall should look like. It doesn't look presentable for Rick to be going through a drive-through. And you're like, I want a cheeseburger and a Diet Coke and French fries. It would be very entertaining if the call was interrupted uh, interrupted by someone saying, would you like fries with that? Or if Rick was just chowing down on a flurry whilst he was making the call. Would you like ketchup or mayonnaise, sir? Of course I want mayonnaise. I'm not American. What nationality do you think I am, you son of a bitch? Haven't you seen Pulp Fiction? <laughs> So Thomas and Kim then interrogates the hill over why he had the phone, and he's a terrible liar. In the same way that Kim is later in the episode. She's a terrible liar. Yeah, so Hill just says, I, I don't know how the phone ended up here. Are you sure this is where I got it from? I know I was the one person in the position to actually be able to steal it from Frazier's back, but it definitely wasn't me. I'm being framed. <laughs> oh, Kim, wasn't didn't weren't you the one that answered it? But then, for some reason, they all agree that Kim gets to take credit for it. It's such a bizarre bizarre turn of events there. Sahil somehow gets away with this lie. When he had two witnesses, saw they saw him grab the phone out of his bag to answer it. Yeah, this entire scene was just odd. They basically decide that they're going to keep the same groups that they are in the vans and that Thomas, Kim, and Sahil will be doing the dark and wet thing, and that Leticia, Averon, and Frazier will be making sure that they can earn money. Yeah, Sahil, Sahil wanted the groups to stay that way cause, because he suspected both Thomas and Kim, the two people who I absolutely do not suspect. <laughs> and also who he ends up going home. Assuming that he suspected Thomas and Kim still, he ends up going home. 
producers and editors are not helping me this season. I just have two suspects. Just give me one scenario where I can rule one of the two out. Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. The past couple of boots have been absolutely devastating for me because I'm not ruling out suspects. I need a concrete suspect to go home soon. Preferably Kim, just because the world will burn if Kim goes. As much as I love her as a character, the level of suspicion that she has in the Netherlands is rather dangerous. And it would be so funny next week if she goes home and I just get a message off Bram going, fuck! And I'm, I want to get into this in this episode anyway, because at the final five, to me, there is only really one person I suspect now. Kim is still by default my second person, because I suspect her the most of the other four. But I really only suspect Leticia. And I think there is a massive difference between a palatable mole and a plausible mole. Leticia is a plausible mole right now. And I think she would be a palatable mole. And I think everyone in the final five would be a palatable mole, apart from Kim. Kim has not done nearly enough to sabotage publicly to make her a satisfying mole for me right now. Uh, Would it be as egregious as your Rowan being the mole? Oh god no, because Kim's actually got a personality. Kim is a fun character, but would be as, as it stands, six episodes in, an unpalatable mole. Whereas Yaron was a terrible character and is an unpalatable mole even after the season when he was allegedly the mole and did less sabotaging than the person who won the season. It was very odd that Sahil get, gets away with the phone lie and then he's the one that wants to tell the other group that the two groups have already been determined and that there's no way they can make any switches. It's impressive that he's able to get away with both absurd suggestions. Because the other group didn't really interrogate him too much or interrogate Kim, Sahil, or Thomas into saying, what? Usually we get to choose our own groups. You mean we can't switch? We always switch. That's our routine. Somebody gets angry, wants to be paired up with somebody else, so they switch. I think it's got to the point of the season where everyone's just like, yeah, do what you want, Sahil. We know you got the choice, but we don't really care anymore. Could it also be that everyone is locked into their suspect, so they don't have as much investment into what the groups are anymore? They feel that they have felt everybody out and they're sticking with their one or two people for the remainder of the season? I think so, yeah. Because everyone everyone just suspects two people now, right? Yeah, everyone is down to two suspects, as far as we're aware. Yeah, no one's no one's brave enough to go to go straight ticket on one person, which is quite rare for Venom. It shows you how much how much smarter the contestants are getting, or it took it took 22 years for them to figure out, hmm, maybe I wait a little bit longer to go straight ticket on one person. Do you think it is in part due to the fact that the structure of this season means that with 11 people, there has to be an elimination every week? Do you think that that is playing into the strategy of the season a bit more? The fact that they know that there is no chance that there is going to be a buffer? That they have to play like it's going to be their last quiz. It could be, but there's yeah, no one wants to take that risk. The fact that there is an elimination each week means that people play a lot more conservatively than they would if they thought, mm, we're getting to final six, final five, there's probably a non-elimination around the corner. Or there's going to be a twist where only two or three people are up for execution, and if the other person has the correct suspect then I'm absolutely screwed, even with splitting between two people and getting 10 out of 20 on the quiz. Yeah, because we got the answer at the end of this episode to 
my question from a few weeks ago with the root of exemption, where Letitia didn't need to sit the quiz because there was no black exemption in play anymore. So that means that it was a guaranteed elimination. And in week four, I did speculate whether if the person who got red screen played their exemption, whether it would pass on to someone else or whether they would just cancel the elimination. By the look of things, they would still eliminate someone if it had happened this week. Yeah, they haven't hinted at any sort of alternative non-elimination or double elimination twist whatsoever. We are getting an elimination every single week by the look of things. And actually, by the look of things, next week's going to be very interesting because they're going back to a twist that they have done in the past. But we're going to get to that because it is a really, really mean way to do the exemption for the finale. So in the van, the other three speculates who has the phone. Letitia is so calm, she just knows it's Sahil. She knows that (laughs) of those three people, if it's anyone, it's going to be Sahil. But when they meet up, they're told that it was actually in Kim's bag and that the teams were already decided when Rick rang. They know that that's a lie, though. Letitia sees sees through that a bit too easily. Yeah. It's almost like she was told. (laughs) Rick meets everyone, Letitia and Frazier, at Castle Porto Palermo. They can earn up to 3,500 euros in this challenge. All they have to do as a team is find the four keys hidden in the castle that will unlock boxes of bows and arrows. The arrows have codes on them to unlock cash chests, which the other team will use when they do their bit of the challenge. They will be on speedboats in the harbour, and the team have a total of one hour, of which the speedboat team will need at least half an hour. To open the gate of the forts, they have to first find the two daggers hidden in the ground for some reason. It was very smooth editing with this task. Unusually smooth editing by Vidim standards. The mobility you'd have, you have Jill DaCosta come in with narration at the appropriate times, and Vidim producers clearly learned from Jill's there. And you, they waited till halfway through, and then Rick explained the second half of the challenge. Well done by Vidim to learn from from other versions of them all. We've had two major complaints this season, and by we, I mean mainly me, let's be honest. One is the absolutely opaque challenges. The fact that they don't tell people how to win the challenges at the start has really got on my nerves in the past couple of years. This challenge is much better. The other one is weird cash amounts. Sadly, we are going to have to get into that later in this episode, because the second challenge has another weird cash amount that gets on my nerves. Uh, once they are inside, they have to take flaming torches to find four keys. And I do also have to point out a deliberate reference that they love to go back to in the mole, which is that the mole thrives in the dark. They always love to say at the end of the season that the mole is going back underground. The mole always thrives in the dark, which is very interesting that this challenge especially has them going into very dark rooms. Especially when when my two suspects are the ones who go into these dark rooms. How would you play this as a mole, do you think? Would you want to be in the first team or the second team? Well, you need the keys to obtain the arrows, right? And then the arrows are what give you the codes to unlock the chests at the end of the challenge. So I presume if you only find two or three out of the four keys, you've already capped the ceiling on how much money can be earned for the challenge. You've already kept a significant amount of money out of the pot. On the surface of it, you would probably want to be in the second team because you get control over where the team actually earn money. But I think you, I think as a mole, the sensible option is to go for the first team because you are in control of the time. 
the more time you take searching the castle for the four keys, the less time the other team have to collect the actual boxes. Yeah, and you control the maximum amount that can be earned for the challenge, too. And Rick put a big emphasis when he was talking to Leticia, Everon, and Frazier to say, make sure the other team have enough time. That is where Amol would place themselves, given the choice, I think. Yeah, because if they take too long, that's not enough time for the other three to get all the chests and be able to unlock them. No, and it's not a short journey from Castle Porto Palermo to, uh, to the submarine base. To the James Bond-inspired submarine base. <laughs> the Porto Palermo Tunnel is its actual name. And, spoilers, Wikipedia doubts its veracity as a Russian submarine base. Wikipedia thinks that that is utter bullshit. <laughs> it's just a rumour or urban legend? Yeah, it's an urban legend, by the look of things. I did a quick bit of googling on it yesterday. It's an urban legend that it had any Russian submarines in it. It had a few Albanian ships in it, but none of them were submarines. And none of them were Russian. Yeah, that's where the real-life version of the Hunt for Red October happened. Yeah, the, there's a heavy bit of citation needed on the Porto Palermo Tunnel Wikipedia page in Wikipedia language. So Letitia finds a key. She says in confessional she grew up wanting to be Ronya the robber's daughter, so it took her back to being a little child. And she finds a second one that Frazier overlooked with 52 and a half minutes left. Frazier then overlooks another key in a very dark room, and everyone finds the third key. They realise that there is one more key to find in the dark room that Fraser overlooked, but they agree to go up to the roof and help the other team find money instead. I think that fourth key was found. I think it was as well. <laughs> I think that fourth key was found quickly and shoved into somebody's pocket. As I said, the mole thrives in the dark. What is the easiest way for the mole to do anything this challenge? It's either dick around in the dark for too long, or start hiding the keys, because they're so small. I would probably, either as a mole, go into that dark room and say, oh no, there's nothing there, and have pocketed the key, or I would just move it. I would move it to another room that had already been checked and already had a key found in it. And I think with a castle like that, you can hear if somebody else is coming close to you. And especially with lit torches, you can suddenly see a burst of light if anybody is remotely nearby. The other bit of this as well is the fact that from a production standpoint, those four keys have to be found by someone because they have to be recovered. Otherwise, someone's just going to go to Castle Porto Palermo and get themselves a souvenir. I don't, I don't think they'll figure out what to do with that key, though. <laughs> no, but as a mole fan, if you were going to Albania next week and you had the chance to go to Castle Porto Palermo, would you explore it to try and find that fourth key? Of course you would, because you'd have a, a money count by souvenir. But from a production standpoint, those four keys probably have to be found by someone. Therefore, if the mole's in that team, the mole was probably instructed to pick up that fourth key. And then if you're a mole fan too, uh, you get some scuba diving equipment, and then you dive underneath near the, near the castle to see if there are any decommissioned Russian submarines that are buried at the, at the bottom of the water. If you're really lucky, you'll find a submarine steering column. Or, or, or an abandoned nuclear missile. <laughs> so once they unlock their arrows, two each for Fraser and Leticia, and three for Everon, they have to aim them at a boy in the water for the others to collect. And surprisingly, all three of them actually do pretty well with their aiming. I think it's because everyone was watching each person fire the arrows. It's not like collecting keys where you're completely unaccounted for. Here you're in plain view of everybody, so you can't do anything 
over the top in terms of a sabotage. So those are, there are five people around you who can see what you're doing at all times. Yeah, it, it's too public a sabotage opportunity to uh, to start accidentally firing them badly, I think. Something I thought that was very interesting, because obviously I have massive tunnel vision on, on uh, Letitia at the moment. Earlier in the season, it was established that she loves Laser Quest and that her friends call her the Laser Quest Queen. And yet she'd never shot before, she said in this episode. I would be really surprised if that is true. You mean never shot a bow and arrow? Yeah. I was really hoping somebody would put on a Mark Twain costume when they pretended to do the bow and arrow shot, like in Robin Hood Men in Tights. He gets another shot. I don't know. I I think I've had this before with mole candidates, where I'm just... I'm suspicious of them because they always seem a little bit disingenuous. And I think that might be what it is with Letitia. You find her disingenuous? Yeah, I always feel like in confessional, she's not telling us the whole truth. And it's a great way to sniff out a mole, but sometimes you just have disingenuous people. Do you think she's just saying those things to be entertaining for the viewers at home? Maybe a little bit, because she has got a lot of airtime in the past couple of weeks. She was very, very quiet in the first couple of weeks, and now we're actually getting a a proper feel on her. I think she either wins or is the mole. Now she's talking about being the Saranya person. Who is Saranya? It's like Dutch Pippi Longstocking, I think. Interesting. Interesting. I think she's basically Anna Varanya Gables. <laughs> Anna Varanya Gables? Where she's going to play around in red soil and grow potatoes and go to church? Yeah. But I'm getting the read on Letitia that she's either winner or mole right now. I just... She is my main suspect, and she probably will be until she gets eliminated right now. I'll be honest. <laughs> One person who I cannot get a grasp on still is Frazia. She's still the one mysterious element in this season. We've been saying she's been under-edited since the very first episode, I think. Yeah, I I think with Frazia, she's just very competitive. I think it's a very similar thing to Rocky last year. And you suspected Rocky last year because she always seemed a bit too good to be true. And you couldn't put your finger on, on her personality. And I think it's a lot of the same thing with Frazier here, being honest. I was thinking earlier about our suspicions last year and how in both Vidim and Belkia, we we were on completely different suspicions in the last week. It got to the final reveal and we were we were completely opposing in terms of suspicions, which never happens. Usually we we come together by the end of it. And I think with Rocky it was just a similar thing to Frazier, you just couldn't put your finger on her. You just didn't know what story they were trying to tell with her. And I think it's probably the same with Frazier. You know, sometimes people who are just very, very competitive may not necessarily make for the most dynamic of confessionals because that's not where their focus is. Their focus is just on doing well in the challenges. Yeah. And I think with some of her behavior with Sahil, when he was obviously molding to troll her a little bit, you could see that competitive side come out. That's a good point. That's a flaw in my judgment. That's what I think with Frazier. I think it's more that she's just competitive rather than suspicious right now. And I know I've had her in my suspicions in the first couple of weeks. And yeah, the first four weeks, actually, I had her in my suspicions. But I think it is just that she's very competitive rather than uh, rather than suspicious right now for me. She's still no Thomas. Thomas is still bottom. 
Yeah, Stunt Thomas, like, he's trying to, he's, he's always doing well. I'd be floored if Thomas is the mole. It'd be, be well, it'd probably be the most shocked I'd be with someone being the mole. He's the anti-Jochen, in that he's definitely not the mole, but also he's definitely doing far too well to be the mole. Whereas Jochen was really bad at challenges and really not suspicious. It would it'd be equivalent to if Lloyd was revealed to be the mole, the mole in Belgia. So the other team then speed off to unlock the cash chests. They're off to a quote-unquote former Russian submarine base carved into the cliffs of Porto Palermo, which is actually Porto Palermo Tunnel. Yeah, I remember I remember all of those abandoned Russian submarine bases from Game of Thrones in Miami Vice. That's what Sahil said anyway. It's a really cool location to have a challenge in. It's also utter horseshit the story they're trying to tell about it being a Russian submarine base. It wasn't. They're going to throw in that uh, rope magnet, and when they pull up the rope, Vladimir Putin is going to come up instead of one of the chests. And then you have those two guys with a stick just pulling at Putin to get him back in the water. I think the other thing about this bit of the challenge as well is it does feel very Belgia, in that normally if there was a Vidum challenge where they said, oh, these things are going to be defended, you'd have like people actually stealing them and things. In this one... You have the lifeguards from hell not even trying to steal the uh, the chest, just trying to throw them back in the water, just irritating the contestants. And there is a really big difference between that when you're coming up with challenges like this. And I love the slightly antagonistic option of just, oh, we're going to throw it back in rather than we're going to take it away from you. Just mildly impede your progress. Yeah. <laughs> and something I noticed is the fact that the quote-unquote lifeguards had earpieces as well because one of them was wearing a receiver on his back. So production would definitely round the corner just going, go on, steal it now. You know you can. You know you want to. It'll be good fun. Production were actively trolling the contestants via these uh, via these lifeguards, and I love it. It's, it's the best way to do this sort of challenge. It's even funnier when you think that these two lifeguards could just be guys they found on the beach and say, hey, are you two guys doing anything? We know there's not a whole lot of opportunities to do really, really fun things in a tiny town in Albania. And the two guys are like, no, we're, we're not really, we're not really up to much. Might smoke some weed on the beach and that's about it. And just say, okay, well, would you like to hold a stick and just annoy the hell out of some Dutch people for the next, uh, next couple of hours? Sure. <laughs> Make no bones about this as well. This challenge would not have worked with another cast. The fact that Thomas has to do this challenge and gets frustrated with these people, the fact that Sahil has to do this challenge and gets frustrated with these people, absolutely elevates this sub-challenge. Anyone else, and I think it would fall flat, and I'd, and I'd just be like, who wants to watch a fishing challenge? Like, you're literally watching people magnet fishing. That is not interesting. But because the lifeguards find people that they love to annoy in Sahil and Thomas, that makes this challenge work. I noticed earlier that everyone said a slightly offensive quote during this episode. When referring to Frazia and, uh, and Letitia, he said, where are those bitches? And I was thinking, man, I think somebody just pulled their music from Spotify over that. Yeah, I, I didn't even twig that. Yeah, that was, in, that was one, of the, one of the quotes quotes in there. I think it was after, when, I think it's when they're running around. Do we need to cancel everyone from the podcast? 
I think we just need to convince everybody associated with the mole to pull their music from Spotify. And in fact, I think it just came through that Willie Summers pulled his music from Spotify or the, over this. Did he actually? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that Willie Summers would care enough. Man, we need to get Jill to message Willie Summers to make a public statement saying he's going to pull his music from Spotify. That would make my day. I think I just had a no Logan experience. <laughs> so everyone sees the lights of the chests. Kim stays by the entrance where she saw two or three together. So Hill hooks the first one in its surfaces. Thomas gets the second and Kim gets the third. However, on the sidelines, there is a man with a stick trying to both put them off and hook the boxes and throw them back in the water. I would, if I were them, I would embrace the label hashtag lifeguard from hell. It does sound like an amazing race team name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have Lucas and Brittany, the lifeguards from season 30. And then season 35, they're going to bring them back and the rivals are going to be hashtag the lifeguards from hell. And they were lifeguards at a, at a small swimming pool in hell, Michigan. So the lifeguard managed to grab one of Sahil's, but only to drop in the water again. Kim comes up empty, but Sahil gets to drop one back. Thomas nearly loses his box as he fishes up the steering column of a submarine. Kim gets her second one and decides to head back to the safe zone. The lifeguard walks alongside her, and she says that she thought, you can try it, but your stick is too short. (laughs) Yeah, just taunting the lifeguards from hell. I have a question. I know both of us are mainly zeroed in on people who are in the first group, but let's play the scenario that the mole was in the second group, which we know can only be Kim or Thomas. Who who would who is in the mole your position? Kim by default, because she was opening boxes. That's what I was thinking too. I was thinking, hmm. If I was the mole in the second group, even though I don't think any of those people are the mole. I'd want to be the person in control of opening the locks because Kim was completely unattended to for most of it. I think Thomas only helped her for, what, three or four minutes out of that whole whole second half of the challenge. I saw the argument that one of Kim's sabotages, if she was the mold here, would have been being really slow at opening the boxes because it took her ten minutes to open three of them. But no money went missing. Each of those boxes had 350 euros worth of coins in them. And Rick confirmed that she opened four boxes. So she was probably just slow on it, because it's a learning curve to open those sort of boxes anyway, and there are potentially ten different codes for each box that you have to try. Obviously they only got seven of the arrows, so she only had seven codes to try, but it's a slow process. I like how Thomas had a very contestant-like confessional of telling the audience... Hey, we know we know it's not a good idea to leave people unattended on the mole, but given the nature of the task, all three of us had to split up no matter what. We couldn't keep tabs on each other at all times. It's just, if the mole sabotages, they sabotage. Nothing you can do. There is no good solution to it. Yeah, the better sabotage move from a mole perspective in this sub-challenge is to be the one opening the boxes. But the problem is, Kim didn't really sabotage in that position. There was one box that got back to the safe zone that wasn't opened. And that can easily be chalked down to the fact that they're a bitch to open. She didn't make any coins disappear. 
which is what I would have done as a mole in that position. I would have said, oh no, there was definitely not enough money in these boxes. We must have just got unlucky with fishing them up. You know, open the codes and throw some coins in the water. <laughs> well, just taking the largest value coin out. If there was a 250 euro coin in there, take a 250 euro coin out of there in every box. Oh no, we only earned 600 euros. What a shame. Because I thought it was very interesting that Rick confirms at the end of the challenge how much money they could have earned for the seven boxes that they would have had to fish up, which was 2,450, which is seven 350s. So that means there were 350 euros in each box, as I suspected. Yeah, if the mole was in the second group, you think Rick would want to conceal that information? This is what I mean when I say that Kim wouldn't necessarily be a palatable mole despite being a great character. Because she didn't take the opportunity there if she's the mole. If she is the mole, I'm going to be disappointed because there are much better options in this season, character-wise, to be the mole. And plausibility-wise, to make the mole. But she's a great character, so I can't begrudge her. But she just isn't taking opportunities to mole if she is the mole here. So Thomas gets himself another one. Not that we can really see it, as his GoPro is very waterlogged. He's got about half of the screen covered by water by that point. Both lifeguards harass Thomas, he takes his boxes away from these awful annoying losers, and apparently has something very important in his hands. They are highly motivated to piss him off, he leaves with another two boxes, and hands them over to Kim, while he goes back despite his hesitation about leaving her alone. So Hill then loses another box to a lifeguard and it drops in the water. Thomas's torch breaks, making it infinitely harder to get anything, and the lifeguard knocks the Hill's second box off his board again, just as he's trying to get it back to Thomas. Thomas returns with another box with six minutes left, just as Kim has opened a box to earn some mole coins, and she has three open by that point. And then Sahil hooks another one without his light working. He pedals back and asks the lifeguards to quit bothering him, given they've seen how much effort he's just put into this challenge. He just escapes, but doesn't manage to make it to the safe zone with his box in time. And Kim does open a fourth box, just as time expires. There are two really funny things towards the end of the challenge. One is when Sahil keeps losing stuff and Thomas goes back to Kim briefly. And Kim says, well, what's what's Sahil doing in there? And then Thomas says, eh, it's just Sahil being Sahil. <laughs> and then Sahil brags about getting the box without having any sort of light. And he says, what is what is my name? But he doesn't even bring the box back on on time. He runs out of time. You can't really brag and showboat if you still don't get the money out of that box. Do you think they would have been allowed to open the boxes in the submarine base? Oh, if they had brought the arrows with them on the on the paddle boards? Or just memorize codes. That's true. They're only three digits. That's what I would have done. Nine, yeah. Because you can easily remember two or three of those codes. The average person could easily remember two or three of those codes. So between the three of you, you can remember the seven codes. I would have opened them on the paddle boards taking the lights off them and put them back in the uh, in the water. Have I... I think I've talked about it on a podcast before. The Simpsons episode where Springfield gets divided into two different area codes? I think you have. Yeah. And they have a video to convince the town it's not a bad idea. And they say, well, a monkey can memorize ten numbers. Are you, are you dumber than a monkey? And here we have just three numbers. For, what, seven different arrows? And three people just have to work together to memorize the seven three-digit numbers. They should be able to manage with that. But I'm guessing just because of the brief time limit, they probably didn't think of that strategy. 
Yeah, that's the sort of thing that I would have done if I was a contestant. I would have said, right, you memorize these two, you memorize these two, I'll memorize three, and we'll just shout the codes to each other. Just try them, pocket the uh, the money, and that way we don't even have to worry about it. They can't steal the mole coins out of our pockets. And also, if you know full well that these boxes all contain 350 euros, you can call out the mole if they are in your group, and if money has gone missing, and you know how many boxes they opened. And... I think Sahil constantly lying to people comes back to bite him here at the end of the challenge because now everyone's working to actively lie to Sahil quite frequently because Kim and Thomas decide to tell Sahil that they earned 1,100 instead of 1,400 euros, which I don't know what the goal of that was just to gauge his reaction to see how confused he was if he was the mole, if they want to see just how knowledgeable he was about the challenge. Or if they just want to toy with him? I think if Kim had been left alone, she would have told Thomas and Sahil that it added up to uh, 1,400 euros and put her 250 euros back in. I think Kim was going to use this as the, as the cover for her 250 euros. Then it would be 1,350 instead of 1,400, which Rick would later announce. Yeah, but I think Kim was relying on Rick not telling them exactly how much it was and her saying... Oh yeah, it's only eleven fifty, and then uh, and then putting the two hundred fifty euros into the pot as well. I think Kim basically planned for this to uh, to work out differently, and it didn't because Thomas was there watching like a hawk. And then Thomas was very amused by Kim trolling Sahil that he was willing to play along with it. <laughs> He's like, he was saying, "I think they both just want to really confuse each other and work each other up." <laughs> See if one of them cracks from the stupid deceptions. So their coins do add up to 1,400 euros, but they tell Sahil that it's 1,100. They could have got 2,450 with the arrows they got, but Rick confirms that they got 1,400 euros or 3,500 for this challenge. Thomas says afterwards that he's suspicious of Kim for being a player, not just a mole. And Sahil, yeah, Sahil's just been Sahil. And then we get a very molly scene from everyone. He pulls Kim aside because he's determined to avenge Hila's death wish of finding out who took the 250 euros. And he is convinced Kim has it. And he pulls Kim aside and says, I know you have the 250 euros. Just, just tell me. I won't tell anybody else. And then Kim is on the verge of a nervous breakdown in her head. And she then she just spits out, well, if I had it, I would return it. And then everyone tells us in a confessional saying, I saw in her eyes, I knew she was lying to me. And I'm thinking, how how are you so certain Kim is lying? Have you picked up on a poker tell? Does she, does she lick her lips when she lies? Do her ears prick up? How does everyone know with 100% certainty that Kim has the money? Because no one else has voiced that same certainty. There's that suspicion, but not 100% conviction on it. I think it all boils down to the fact that they were in pairs for that challenge and that everyone else has admitted what they got out of the box. And they know that between Healer and Kim, one of them got two yokers, one of them got the 250 euros, and they just don't know who it was. And then everyone is likely thinking, well, why would Healer lie about that after she's a vic- after she's uh, executed? I almost said evicted there because of Celebrity Big Brother, I'm assuming. <laughs> Do you think that they would have told this 250 euro story differently if Kim is the mole? I don't think they'd be drawing nearly as much attention to it. If she was the mole, yeah. I think it would be buried a bit more. That's a huge cloud of suspicion to 
remind the audience week after week after week after week, because this is the third week in a row they've talked about it. I think especially in the post-episode scene with them handing Healer the money, I don't think they would have shown who handed Healer the money if the mole was one of those people who got the money. I think they drew far too much attention to it being Kim for her to be the mole right now. And I might completely be wrong in four weeks. I may be sitting here in four weeks' time, well, hopefully a bit earlier than this in four weeks' time, but I may be sitting here in four weeks' time going, yeah, Kim's the mole, I guess, whatever. But I just can't see that in a month's time I'm going to be satisfied if Kim's the mole. That's what it boils down to, especially after this week. I think she had a bad week if she's the mole. There were better opportunities for her to sabotage. Yeah, she actively did not take an opportunity to sabotage when she was left on her own. And that is a problem. So Rick meets them at the bay on day 12. There are four boats that have life preservers attached to them with monetary amounts. Each boat must be arranged so that the lowest monetary amount is on the inside and the highest is on the outside of the beams. And each boat is worth the frankly odd amount of 435 euros. There is a fifth boat where they can arrange logistics from. One person will be on the logistics boat and the other five people will be on jet skis. And they've got 30 minutes to make it happen. What's funny is there we only have two challenges this week. The first challenge took 35 minutes of the episode. The second challenge, even though it's only it's half an hour time limit instead of the one hour time limit of the previous challenge, we still only get about 10 minutes of airtime for the second challenge. Yeah, the first challenge was long. Yes, I, I wrote that in my notes thinking... There's not going to be three challenges this week. And then as it wore on, I'm thinking, we might barely get two challenges squeezed in this week. There could be a there could be a challenge at the during the quiz or right before the execution, but they do squeeze in a second challenge here, and I can see why they prefer the first challenge more, because there was a lot more action in it. Rick narrated it much better. It was a lot easier to follow the linear progression of the challenge. Here, I'm sure it would have been a very, very fun challenge to experience riding out on a jet ski, but I think it's one of those challenges that's a lot more fun for contestants than it is for the audience at home because it's six people doing everything at once, and that's tough to follow. Yeah, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I've got barely any notes from this challenge, and I'm going to skip through this challenge pretty quickly because there's far more important things to talk about right after this challenge. All I can really talk about is how the how everyone got, because five people have the same role of all being on the jet skis, retrieving the different amounts, and then everyone got picked to be leader. And then, I can't remember who it was that pointed that out. Might have been Letitia or Thomas. Might have been Letitia who said it, saying, hmm, everyone really played it well to make himself the guy in control on the walkie-talkie. Why would you want to be as a mole in this challenge? Do you think it matters? It's tough because uh, it's just uh, there's just so many moving parts to this challenge. You figure in the walkie-talkie because you're controlling a lot of the communication and you have that puzzle board in front of you. But the players were also doing a pretty good job of keeping track of where, where the buoys were as well. And they were able to com- communicate with one another as well. It all didn't feed through everyone as much as... Uh, it was made out to be. I think the mole would want to be in the water. And I think in an ideal situation, the mole would want to be sneaking around to the boats and sabotaging them. But the mole didn't get the opportunity to do that. 
this team were far too well organized for the mole to actually be able to do the proper sabotage that should have been done in this challenge, which is take a 250 ring off, sling it into the ocean, because that burns the boat. I'm sure there were a couple of subtle subtle sabotages in this challenge. It didn't go it didn't go perfectly. That was made that was made clear. No, but they were probably ten seconds away from it going perfectly. And in them not doing it perfectly, that only lost them what, four hundred and thirty five euros. That leads into another point. I, I, I don't have any notes other than everyone stumbling on the radio where he, he confuses the two hundred and fifty ring with the fifty ring. Thomas corrects him and he's like, oh, well, Frazia has the 250 ring and not not you. Oh, um, hmm, hum, 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 hmm, shit. <laughs> and then Letitia <laughs> limboing underneath the, the buoy arms. <laughs> yeah, and Sahil nearly getting clotheslined by it later on as well. Yeah. <laughs> Jet skis are dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> One point I am going to say, and this comes from a, a chat I was having with our friends over at the Trust Nobody podcast earlier, and it won't be the last time I mention them on this podcast, actually, but they had a bit of a problem with the 435 euros like I did, because I'm going to rehash a rant that I've done three weeks on the trot now, but they made it possible for the team to win an amount of money that they could not fulfill in the notes of the show. They do not have a 5 euro note, therefore... Why are you even putting it out there that there is a chance, albeit a chance as low as 40% in this challenge, that they are going to end up needing to round the money up or down? It makes the group feel good. It makes the audience feel good. Like, oh, we'll give you these five extra euros. It does, but there is an easier way to do it. And, I mean, they've come up with an example that is a maximum of 2,000 euros for this challenge. And instead of the rings being 10, 25... 50, 100, and 250, make them 25, 50, 75, 100, and 250. Because that adds up to 500. It's a nice round amount for the pot. And no matter what they win, you can actually make it plausible in the notes of the show. It would be easier logistically, yeah, and not have to specify, oh, because it was 322.7, I guess we got to round that up to 330. Either that or for the love of God, invent a five euro note. It's not difficult, guys. <laughs> the notes this season are very pretty. You could easily come up with another colour that is the €5 euro note. And also on the subject of the notes, we've not seen any negative notes this season. It goes back to something we've said time and time again this season about them being a bit more generous. I don't think we've seen a single negative note this season. And this episode was another episode where their success rate was a very high percentage. There wasn't much money kept out of the pot this episode. They were over 50% on this episode again. They are in 50%? They are in 50%? Uh, just over 50%, yeah. It was uh, 2,710 of 5,240, so 51.7%. Yeah, Vidim, they, each episode when we talk about it, they're usually hovering around 20% or 30% goes into the pot. 50% or higher for, what is this, the third week in a row, I think they've succeeded with that. It feels like we've had a lot of 50% or higher success rates, or close to it. So yeah, last week was a smidge over um, over 50% as well, because that was 3,550 of 7,000. So yeah, 50.7. Week 4 was just over a quarter, it was 1,750 of 6,000, plus 250 that Kim had ordered. 
So with a minute to go, everyone sent out to the last boat. They fail at the last second, just missing out on the last 250 euros. Ray meets them back on the shore. They completed three boats for a total of 1,305 euros. But because the season still hasn't built five euro notes into it, it is rounded up to 1,310 of 1740 for the challenge, 2,710 of 5,240 for the episode, and 12,160 euros of 44,040 for the season so far. I thought they were at 12,060. Good spot in Mr. Saunders. We'll get to that in a second. 12,160 of 44,040 for the season so far, plus 250 euros that Kim has hoarded, which now puts them 20 euros off the amount won in Vidum Renaissance. Now, as you said, I thought they were on 12,060. I don't know if you spotted this, but they somehow messed the numbers up in this episode. And I'm not the only person to spot this. Because they started the episode by saying that they were on 9,350. Whereas at the end of the last episode, and I've gone back and checked this, they were on 9,450. And our friends at Trust Nobody also spotted that. And we were having a little conversation about it on uh, on Twitter before the episode recording today. So production have fucked up, basically. The the Wikipedia page on the Dutch wiki does say it's 12,060. It is actually 12,160. Unless 100 euros has gone missing and we are going to find out where it's gone at the end of the season. How do you not keep track of the money won on a season you're, you're filming? Exactly, because you know as well as I do, usually by this point in the season I have messed up my maths somewhere. Usually I do have to go back and correct things. This season I have not had to go back and correct things, because I have double-checked every single week. And I made sure that my number was correct, because when I was looking at the uh, at the list of Dutch seasons to see what position they'd got to in terms of beating Renaissance and stuff, I saw it said 12,060, and I'm like, no, that's wrong. So I went back yesterday and double-checked my numbers were correct this week and that they had ended last episode on 9,450. And when you get to the end of the first challenge, you see that, you know how it adds the money in. It starts at 9,350 this week, whereas it should be 9,450. So do they get penalised in between episodes and they just didn't want to specify it on air? They just had no way to explain it from production? I'll say this now. They need to be much more transparent about this if it was a penalty. And if the mole has stolen 100 euros, that is a shit sabotage. Because we've had no indication of it. It's only eagle-eyed viewers and people like me and people like Elga from Trust Nobody who actually take a note of all this money who spot these things. Imagine if it was just some intern in production who caught on to something that happened three rounds prior and just came running into the room saying, hey, they didn't deserve this 100 euros that they earned back during the catapult challenge. You need to take that money away from them. Then production says, well, how do we explain that? We filmed that three episodes ago. Most viewers are going to forget about that. I think it is cock-up rather than conspiracy. I think someone's just fucked up. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole, whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Frazier, Letitia and Sahil still have exemptions to play, and they have two more rounds to play them. Frazier suspects everyone and she has a lot of tunnel vision. That is the danger of the game, but there are far too many things that point to him right now. Everyone is a bit unsure. He would have to take a risk as he has no advantages left. He's still on Kim and Sahil and daren't spread any more. In the beginning, Kim went on everyone, Sahil, Thomas and Frazier, but purely looking at the facts, Sahil is massively sabotaging this season. She is debating going all in on Sahil and plays her crystal. 
Thomas is on Kim and Sahil. Sahil is sabotaging in plain sight, and a life preserver was dropped in the ocean, costing them the final vote. He's gone half on Sahil and half on Kim. If he's right, he will stay in the season. If he's wrong, he will go home. Letitia isn't strong on collecting information, so you just have to trust each other, and she decides to play her exemption. Sahil doesn't want to play his exemption because there's still only a 20% chance of going. He's keeping it for next week, when the chance is 25%. Rick confirms that Letitia is through and doesn't even need to take the test, confirming there are no more black exemptions in the season. I know you said this to me on Facebook earlier, but it did make me laugh. As soon as the hill says, oh, there's only a 20% chance of going, you go, mm. Is it 20% if someone else uses the exemption who isn't the mole? I don't know, buddy. You may want to recheck your maths. I think everyone pretty much knows that there are still three exemptions in the game. If you have an exemption right now and you don't play it, you have to assume the other two people are probably going to play it. Therefore, your chance of going home if neither of those people is the mole is one in three. You are really gambling if you don't play that exemption now. And I, I'm sure it's something they discussed or feel out from the, from the other two people who have exemptions. Are you going to play it this round or are you going to wait till last round when it's the last time you can play it? Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, if nobody had played their exemptions and everyone with exemptions had got through this week, there would have been a guaranteed elimination possibility next week. Because there would have been two people vulnerable, one of whom could have been the mole. It would have been a, a default elimination. So Kim gets a green screen and dances. Everyone gets one and cries. Thomas also gets one, leaving Frazier and Sahil. Both have exemptions, but one of them will be leaving with it in their pockets. Sahil gets the red screen, meaning that Frazier is safe. Frazier says that he was a very annoying candidate who she wanted to go to the end with alongside everyone. He was so annoying in the game, but will be a friend for life. And Frazier will be guaranteed a spot in the final four, right? She will indeed, because they have to play their exemptions next week, and she's the only one with one now. So she's guaranteed a spot in the final four, and on top of that, next week, they're giving away an exemption for the finale. And the reason that I point this out now is because when Rick is saying goodbye to Sahil, he says that he cannot remember a candidate going home with an exemption in their pocket before. Sahil says that he's happy to be the first. I can confirm Sahil is not the first, because it has happened when they did the exact same thing at Final Five as they're doing this season in previous years. There is an example that I'm going to give you, which I'm not going to tell you which season it was because you've not seen it. But someone won the exemption for the finale at Final Five, just like someone's going to next week, I'm presuming it's Frazier. Then they had to defend it in another challenge, and they did. All they had to do was get through the final five test, and they would be guaranteed a spot in the finale. And they did not get through the final five test. They went home at final five with an exemption for the finale in their pocket. But they didn't have the chance to play their exemption, right? So is this the first time where somebody got executed? Is is this the first time in Vidim where someone got executed with an exemption they could have played? I'm not sure, is the honest answer. Bindles didn't know off the top of his head. But it's a very interesting situation, and I love it that they don't give out exemptions for the finale in the final four. I like it that they still have to get through a test. It does mean if Frazier wins it next week that she's guaranteed a spot in the final three, which is probably the worst option, actually. But also, I like it that there there is a bit of jeopardy when it comes to winning these exemptions still. 
I will say this now. I think if Sahil and Letitia and Fraser had got through this execution with their exemptions intact, I don't think they'd be giving away the exemption for the finale next week. I would assume production would anticipate controversy that three people held on to their exemptions so long and someone and a popular player could potentially go home by default. Not only a popular player, but that person could have gone straight, straight ticket on the mole, but had to go home by default anyway. Yeah, it would be a Josh situation. Yeah, Josh situation. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. It was him and uh, him and whatever I called Splinter that week, Pikachu, I think it was. Him and Pikachu going head to head, both knowing who the mole was, both pretty much going full beans on, on Renea's mole, and then still he went home despite knowing who the mole was. Yeah, you can't have people really go home like that on the mole. You can't have it be down to just a one versus one battle when there's six people left, or five people left. I think in future seasons they won't hand out as many exemptions at the same time because of this situation there. How many rounds ago did they get these three exemptions? That was when there was eight people left, right? Week week four it was, yeah. Because it was a challenge when they were in pairs. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive that you had two people willing to risk it for three consecutive rounds and hang, keep hanging on to their exemption. It was final nine, because it was four people in pairs and Healer is the treasure on one side, getting the black exemption. So it was episode three. Right. Forgot about that. Nine. So they've gone through four rounds of that playing in the exemptions. I can't think of any more season where some where three people hung on to their exemption for four episodes, and then on the fourth episode, only one out of the three people play it, and then the other two say, oh no, I'm going to hang on to it till five. And you know as well as I do, they definitely made Fraser and Sahil the last two, just for the drama. Fraser probably wasn't the bottom scorer on this test other than Sahil. They just did it for funsies, to stress them both out. Yeah, if you're production, you just think no one's going to be that guts. You, you don't expect three people to a survive that many executions in a row and then b hang on to all of those exemptions for this long i think they were very relieved when one person played it and then the second person went home with it in their back pocket the obvious solution from a production standpoint to this issue would be to bring back specific weeks exemptions say this has to be used on the first test this has to be used on the second test but that then negates the point of the black exemption. You couldn't do a black exemption and have week-specific exemptions. It's either or. What's your preference? Week-specific exemptions or ones where you can hang on to it as long as you want? I think I do prefer it where you can hang on to it. But from a production standpoint, you have to be so careful that you don't end up with a situation where you say, these have to be played by Final Five, and everyone apart from one person is exempt. That is a production nightmare. Because it's, I mean, it's essentially using the same rules as the hidden immunity idol from Survivor. Because it's, uh, with Survivor, you can tilt, tilt the game in your favor where you just have a really close alliance with the other people who have idols. And say there are three idols in the game, all three of you can just hang on to your idols, vote together, and you get all the way to final final five or final four together with all your idols. Here with the mole, it's, it's so different. It's so much tougher because you can't tilt the game in your favor due to alliances. 
it's everyone's doing their own, their own individual quizzes. You would just have to be insanely unlucky as a producer to enter a situation like that. Cause there's no way for the contestants to really rig it against uh, specific people to ensure their target goes home. Yeah. I don't think it came from a position of malice from production. I think, I don't think they probably anticipated three people hanging onto their exemptions this long, but also you do have to, think about it when you have a challenge at final nine where eight people could be exempt and eight exemptions could be brought into the game yeah i guess the lesson from from this point forward is yes it's very very unlikely that everyone carries their exemptions to the final five and live in the words of austin powers they live very very dangerously but it could happen where you find yourself in that scenario so i guess that's the lesson they gotta learn from this season and from a production standpoint as well, if you're going into this knowing you've got a structure that requires an elimination every single week, it is entirely possible that four people could have exemptions to play at Final Five, and the person who doesn't is the mole. And therefore, you have to have a non-elimination, but that doesn't work for the structure of the season. You'd have to have a double at Final Five, which would be terrible. Yeah, very odd situation. From a production standpoint, it's a very stupid thing to do to introduce this many exemptions, and have them all expire at Final Five, where there's a very real possibility that everyone could be exempt. But shifting it to Final Six probably wouldn't help, being perfectly honest about it, because then you'd still potentially have five people who are exempt and one person who isn't. Yeah, you're just bumping it bumping it up by one round. A very Josh situation. Yeah, there's no easy way. You just have to be sensible about how many exemptions you put into the game. And from my standpoint... I love a non-test specific one because it then means you can have stuff like the Black Exemption or any sort of twist that you want to. But eight is far too many. Potentially eight. They were lucky that only four got introduced into the game. They were very, very unlucky that this sort of a situation could still have happened going into a Final Five test. Yeah, because we said don't use your exemption at nine or eight. Don't start thinking about it till seven. And then, depending on how certain you are, how gutsy you are, then keep risking it. And it's incredible that two out of three people were willing to risk it for five consecutive executions. I will be perfectly honest, I don't think I would have gambled. I would have, yeah, I would have been too too scared. I think I probably would, well, I would have cashed in by final six, definitely. Yeah, I think I would have, I would have been spooked probably by seven. <laughs> Because the other element of the exemption structure is the fact that because you're exempt, you don't get any information on whether you're on the right track. It's great to be through another round and potentially be able to find clues and stuff, but you don't get any immediate feedback. Unless your suspect goes home. Well, yeah, that's the only that's the only situation. If your suspect goes home, like it did for anyone who suspects his hill this week. Which was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a perfect science. You don't have that that immediate feedback of knowing whether you're at least more on the right track than someone else. Yeah, Thomas, Kim, and everyone were all on Sahil. So that's really going to shake it up next week. So, in the pool, for the first time since week two, Logan has lost someone, albeit someone he didn't suspect, leaving him with just everyone and Thomas. I still have Letitia, and Michelle has Fraser and Kim. This is the last week that any switches can be used, and Michelle and Logan still have theirs available. And I will warn you now, Mr. Saunders, Michelle has already been talking about potentially using hers this week. I don't know who won, because she did suspect a hill. 
Nobody had Sahil at number one in first suspicions, while Sir Julian in April Ride 15 had him at number two, which was the highest. Bram and Matt had him at the lowest score, which was number nine. Nobody had him at number ten. With five people left, only five people have actually lost their first suspicions. Nine people still have their very last suspicions. Natalia is still leading with a score of 17, of which the minimum is 15. Maximum score is 36, and our lowest between the three of us is 23, which is still me. And you and Michelle have 26 points currently. You both had Sahil at number 5, I believe. The overall ranking is now Kim at 2.35 out of 5, Fraser at 2.53, Averon at 3.18, Thomas at 3.35, and Leticia at 3.59. Kim and Leticia are still the only ones more suspicious to the three of us than the group as a whole. Kim by a tiny margin of less than 0.01, and Leticia is above Thomas in our rankings. Kim with 31%, plus 5 from last week. Frazier, 24%, plus 9 from last week. And Leticia with 18%, plus 1 from last week, are all the top 3 in the Netherlands. And Averon with 17%, plus 1. And Thomas with 10%, minus 1, are the bottom 2 of the Dutch public. This week is the final week of our two suspicions. Next week, we do have to pin our colours to the mast and go down to just one. Who are your two? Number one is everyone. Number two is Letitia. Interesting. Number three is Frasia. Number four is Kim. Number five is Thomas. Yeah, mine... I mean, mine haven't changed again. It's still Letitia and Kim, mainly because Kim is just generally odd. She's an odd person. She can't... No, no sane person acts like that. Well, no, it's it's the same argument that I think I've made before, that it would be a disappointment if Kim is the mole, because she basically plays the same archetype that Renee played last year, of being the older woman in the cast, being slightly kooky, being a bit out there, and the sort of person who you just go, oh no, it definitely can't be them. So it would be a shame if they do that twice on the trot. Letitia still isn't on anyone's radar, which is very suspicious, and we've not seen a single person suspect her as number one all season, which is very suspicious to me. There is no way that with the little amount of money that Letitia brings in each week that nobody is talking about her being them all. Unless she's just really comes off as really, really genuine in person and is just fooling the hell out of everybody. Like I said, I think Letitia is probably either our winner or mole. I don't know which one yet. I will be very, very pleased if it is Mole, because she was my number one suspect in First Suspicions, and obviously she is my one team member left in the pool. But I think she would also be a much more palatable Mole than Kim, especially. But I think she'd also be a much more palatable Mole than Frazier, because, as you said, you just can't get your finger on her. And probably more than everyone as well. She's not the biggest personality in the group, but I think she's probably the personality that is most palatable if you were told that she's Mole. That's the best way I can put it, I think. So it would be Letitia, then Kim, and then Averon, Frazier, and then Thomas. Thomas, by far, is last for me. Because he brings in so much money. I have everyone and Letitia just in their own tier of my top two suspects. There's a gap with just Frazier alone there. Another big gap, and it's Kim and Thomas that I just... I'm certain they're not the mole. So you can do the Bothers Bar Suspect list each week, run by the wonderful Daniel Peake, at the link in our description. And I will also say, as a housekeeping note, we are due some de mole here news at some point, probably in the next couple of weeks. 
I'm crossing everything that it isn't going to be a trailer and isn't going to be a premiere announcement, but First Suspicions will be returning for Bell here in some form. I will hopefully be able to do the admin on that if I am away when it's uh, when it's starting, as will our pool between me and Logan at least. And um, all being well, we will be uh, we will be back for Bell here every week. The first episode, depending on when it is, maybe a little bit delayed, but we'll get into that when we actually know when the premiere is going to be. But yeah, any Belkia news that comes out this week, we will almost invariably end up talking about next week on the podcast. If it comes out this week. Have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think I'm going to go watch some short track speed skating and let the carnage ensue. It's definitely Winter Olympic season. <laughs> so thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2022 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in Albania. Don't forget to contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us at contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsikwaki, and I'm MJ Helmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring.